back to another edition of At the Devil's Ball, where we all float. Uh, this yeah. month, our, our theme for July is just going to be one big four-episode-long run into the world of Stephen King's It. Yes. Um, Welcome to the Losers Club, kids. Yeah, yeah. We can't. I don't know if we could say that. They, there's a podcast called the Losers Club, and that they. I think they have like a million viewers, listeners. Right, yeah. they'll, they'll probably sue us. Um, <laughs> if you could sue for that, can you sue for that? Yeah. There was the no, it, not. I mean, if we retitled our podcast, probably, but uh, yeah. if we say it in the episode, I don't think it's that actually because it's that actually it's just a line it's, from the book and the movie. So yeah. It's totally, it's totally off topic, but there was actually a uh, – uh, that happened not too long ago of a, of a podcast came up with a name that was like Nightmare on oh. Fierce Street and like Nightmare on Film Street got really upset with them and it turned, right. into, a whole, turned into a whole nightmare online that kind of killed right. a lot of uh, goodwill towards um, Nightmare on Fierce Street. Uh, yeah, not sucks. Not Nightmare on Film Street. Uh, the 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 underdog that that uh, was the kind of the ones that ended up kind of winning that war of words, right. but but that's a completely not not uh, besides the point. And uh, for the record, if anybody else kind of like says calls themselves something similar to at the devil's ball, Sam and I are not mm-hmm. going to get mad about it. <laughs> like, you know, right? We I stole the name from a song, guys. So right. I mean, like you know, it's that that's literally the story of how this. The, we'll, we'll talk about that next month, but uh, in our anniversary month, but. Uh, so anyway, I'm Nathaniel. I'm uh, Sam Al. Yeah. And we're going to jump right on into this. Uh, welcome, welcome to the show where we uh, we get diverted every 35 to 45 seconds. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Is it too late to re- rename this ADHD theater? Right. Right. That's our other one. Right, uh, right. That's our that's our spinoff project uh, later on when we, we have oodles of time, apparently. Right. Um, we're making but, that money. We're making that Bill Dudber money, you know. Yeah, right. Um, so there's, uh, it's been two minutes and we've digressed three times. Um, so, uh, but yes, okay. So Stephen King's it. So Sam's got the uh, the vitals. We're, well, we're what we're trying to do here is we're um, we're going to be recording both episodes back to back, and we're going to try to compartmentalize to. Uh, oh, did I say 1990? By the way, did I say we were doing 19? We're doing 1990 first. We're doing 1990 for this episode and the next, and then and we'll be doing the uh, the remake or. Film adaptations for yep. later on in the month. Right, right. Just, you know, um, so what chronological we're gonna, order. Exactly. And what we're going to try and do is compartmentalize uh, the first one to just part one of the 1990 miniseries, right. which focuses on the kids. And um, so we didn't really discuss this before we started about how we're going to do uh, vital stats. But uh, for now, I'll let Sam take it away and do the vital stats for part one. All right. So... Uh... It came out uh, 1990. It aired on uh, November 18th and November 20th of 1990. Uh, standard television ratio for the time, 133 to 1. Uh, had about a $12 million budget, which even for like movies at the time, that was kind of a low budget. But uh, for TV, it was miniseries. It was decent. Right. Um, filmed mostly in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, which as we get into the cast, we'll probably notice a lot of people who filmed in shows and movies that filmed in British Columbia as well. Yeah. Um, so as far, uh, directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who we already talked about in our Halloween three episode a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, one of, uh, you know, Carpenter's protégés. Yeah. Uh, written, written by part two did, uh, was rewritten by Tommy Lee Wallace. Um, but, uh, Lawrence D. Cohen wrote, uh, part one and, uh, the, 
earlier draft of part two. Um, and for cast, we have uh, Richard Thomas as Bill Bedbro, adult. I'm going to go through the adults and then do the kids. So we'll just okay, so we're just going to do it all. We're, we're going to do, do it all all at once. Well, okay. I mean, to, yeah. Uh, Tim Reed played uh, Mike. Annette O'Toole played Beverly. Uh, Harry Anderson played Richie. Uh, Dennis Christopher played Eddie. Richard Mazur played Stanley. John Ritter played uh, Ben. The great Tim Curry, of course, uh, as the titular It slash Pennywise. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, now for the for the chillins, uh, Jonathan Brandis played young Bill. Brandon Crane played Ben. Adam Ferrazzi played Eddie. Uh, very young Seth Green, and I don't know if this is his first or early performance as uh, Richie. Yeah, I think he'd worked uh, before, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Ben Heller played Stanley. Emily Perkins played Beverly. And uh, Marlon Taylor played uh, Mike. And so that's our main cast for the thing. Okay. So hop right into it, I guess. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, not, not a bad opening, I th- don't think. It's a nice little set up uh, with the stormy weather and the little girl playing in the street. And Yeah, yeah. It's a nice little horror scene right there. What do you think of that? Oh, yeah, definitely, like, definitely. Like, um, yeah, it's uh, it, the, the I think the, any adaptation of, of Stephen King's Ed, and we're going to try not to mention the, uh, the, the later ones as, as aforementioned, but um, right. you kind of you have to hit the audience hard, just as the book did with the death of Georgie Denborough. Um, and, um, so yeah, you have Tim Curry kind of popping up out of the sewer to talk to, talk to this, you know, sweet little kid. Um, you know, I might even before that, they have the girl on the bicycle, you know, who gets, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yes, that's right. Because they start in modern day. That's right. Yeah. I I thought it was a nice little way to go from that to, uh, you know, to show right off the bat pretty much that we're going to be dealing with, you know, different time periods to start in the, the present and go back to the past. Yes. Yeah. The, the flashback aspect works really well, I think, in the first part of 1990. I think the first part of the 1990 series, uh, miniseries, which is, is a loose term, that was, it's, it's right. two nights. Um, yeah. Um, I feel like you have to have three to have a miniseries. I don't know. Right. But, um, two-part TV movie. But, well, um, originally, originally, I guess George Romero was working on it, and it was going to be a ten part at that point, which is you know, kind of insane. Yeah. Um, well, actually, but, that's that's how I would do it if they came to me and right. said, "We want to do, you want to do, we want you to do another adaptation of it." I'd be like, "All right, give me ten to twelve episodes to yeah, it, it you know, would take cram everything in." Yeah. Right. Um, uh, but of course, this is what you know George Romero was working on a ton of different Stephen King projects that most of them never happened. Um, yeah. They were good. Buddies, I don't even know yeah. much about. Yeah, I don't even know much about the script for that. So I, I, I'd be curious to see if they, how far along they got, and how they were going to lay it out. But here, it's you know, shit. It's kind of short for a movie these days. It's three hours and you know, thirteen minutes or something. I think yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> somebody, uh, I think somebody made that joke. Uh, um, it derisively towards the film on uh, uh, towards right. the modern era films that like the the that the twenty seventeen. Chapter one was almost as long as the actual. Right. Well, I know part a part two. I think was as long or longer, but I yeah. have to actually go look it up. But yeah, so like this was you know a, a lot for for TV at the time because they did miniseries, but a horror miniseries 
didn't happen too much, so I don't know if they wanted to do the budget, you know, to to do a three or four part until later on. Well, I think John Ritter when, said on the commentary track, um, mm-hmm. which you watched. Did you watch that recently, or did you watch that before? Yeah, I watched it yesterday. Oh, uh, yeah, I uh, I haven't. I watched it uh, about a year ago. And uh, it's a great commentary track on the Blu-ray of 1990. It is, it is. Uh, but as you pointed out, it doesn't have a lot of actual information. It's mostly no. them like riffing on the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're having they're having a blast uh, doing it. It's worth it's worth checking out if you have the blue and you haven't Definitely. listened to the commentary. Check it out. But um, um, interesting link. I watched it on HBO Max. Um, and interesting thing is that it cuts some um, the the blue. Mm-hmm. I don't know the blue you have. The blue I have keeps mm-hmm. the credit sequence to part two. No. No, mine does not. No, no, oh, mine didn't. Uh, but the HBO Max one does not. It just cuts right, right. cuts from uh, the end of part one immediately to the beginning of part two. Yeah, um, and that's. I don't. I don't really care for that. I wish there was an option to to watch it as as aired with the credits at the beginning of the end of each parts. But not, nowadays, it seems like the the only version you can get a hold of is the one that cuts. You know, cuts it as one big movie. See, that's what I mean. Mine doesn't. It's really weird. Right. Mine has uh, mine has the credit sequences. Uh, it doesn't have. They cut the end credits of part one, but they keep the beginning right. credits of part two, um, and then have one big end credit sequence. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I guess it does do the it does do the opening credits. I was thinking of you know the end credits of part one. Yeah, it's not on. That's not on there. Oh, but uh, the like the little photo album. Yeah, you know, re- yeah. remix on, on part two is there. Oh okay after, okay after another cold open. Um, sequence, yeah. HBO the HBO Max doesn't doesn't have that. It's really interesting. Um, but uh, I think it was. But I, my point about the commentary track was I think Tom, uh, John Ritter talked about um, what like when getting cast as the role of adult Mike. He mm-hmm. kind of was like, are, uh, "Are you guys like doing like the turtle and all <laughs> right. this other stuff?" And they they kind of looked at him with two heads, like he had two heads, and they were like, "Are you kidding? We, like we have the money right. for that?" Like. And I think yeah. lack of money is is very prevalent in this mm-hmm. in in 1990, um, uh, and I think well handled. I think that the adaptation, oh, yeah. the adaptational choices are very very good. I think um, in okay. the 1990 version, particularly particularly in part one, um, right, uh, where um, a lot of the weaknesses I think of the, of the show come in part two, right. and we'll talk about that in part two. But part one had the um, even the dialogue isn't that good in part one, but it's right. handled much better by the child actors than the adult actors, which is kind of funny right. to me. But I mean, there are a couple of lines in in part one that are a little bit like. Um, well, in, in part one, the adult actors are all pretty much separated throughout, so it's, they get their little vignettes, and uh, I mean, the kids. you don't really. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, you mentioned the, the adult actors not being oh. as good as the kids, but they don't actually get to come together as a group in part one. Really. No, they do not. No. So you're only seeing like you know a little slice of their life, and then you know a flashback. Uh, and the kids in this are just like uniformly, uniformly phenomenal. Yeah, they're I mean, great. Just, yeah, right. But it's I mean, not they... a bad performance in the batch. I don't yeah, think. yeah. The the uh, the one that the but I mean some of the lines of dialogue yeah, that are they're asked to do they manage to man, they manage to to nail despite the fact right. that they're kind of ridiculous like. Um, uh, they're talking at one point. They're talking about how they're gonna have to fight it, and uh, you know, and my, uh, Ben says like it kills kids, damn it! And I'm like, right. and it's such a it, you can tell it's such a bad line, but he he manages to handle yeah. it. Um, uh, it's uh, but yeah. yes, it's a uniformly great cast. Um, 
obviously we're both huge fans of the book. Right. Is it your favorite favorite Stephen King novel, or are you you? A uh, it's guy? up there. It's it. It's kind of like asking me what my favorite, you know, George Romero film is. It's like it depends on my mood that day. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's, usually it's it's a t- it's a toss up between it, uh, The Stand, and The Dark Tower series. Right. Um, today, since I just you know rewatched it and you know read some of the book uh, again, because I didn't have time to read you know eight bajillion pages of no, book this no. week. Um, <laughs> but I just recently listened to it a couple months ago. But so it's fresh in my mind. So today I would say it's 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 it. Yeah. What yeah. is it? It's it. <laughs> what <Sorry>. is it? <laughs> what is it? Um, and this is uh, this is your favorite, correct? Oh, uh, absolutely. Kind of like yeah, yeah. It's it's far and away my favorite Stephen King right. novel, I think. Um, and uh, it's and probably I think my third favorite book of all time, um, right. after only uh, 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 the Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway and House of Leaves by Mark Z. Danielski. Um, oh man. That was a great book. Wow, yeah. Was... Yeah. Sun Also Rises is really great. Um, right. But this is the this is the Stephen King book that it, you know affected my life the most, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's my favorite of the day or not. Yeah. Because so I, mean, I don't know about you. I I read it when I was you know the same age as the kids. I read it for the first time. Yeah. And you know now I'm older than the adults, <laughs> or as old as the adults. So it's it's uh, it's been stuck with me for 30 years <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh it's funny because I, I, I did read the book i probably at about 11 or 12 um right. but the book didn't really connect with me until i was in my 20s um right. and the reason for that and i think the same way the mini the same thing i think is probably true of the miniseries um that the the story i think the story requires um mm-hmm. a little bit of nostalgia to be present to really work yeah um, and, and make you kind of wistful for like youthful childhood, um, which is something that the 1990 miniseries does very well, I think, which is show yeah. the, the 1958, uh, although it's technically it's 1960 right. in the, uh, yeah, uh, cause they slid the timeline and, and to make the timeline a little bit to, to make it more round numbers. Yeah. Well, and, and to make <laughs> and it current. Take, yeah. And current, they make it take place in right. 1990. Um, because the, the book stuff. came out in '86, and at, at that in '86, it was you know, it comes around every 27 years, and they changed it to 30 in the miniseries because, you know, they just wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I think it, it was to make the part two to take place in 1990, so that was like right up to date. Right. Um, but yes, the round numbers do kind of help too, I think, in that sense. Yeah. But uh, but the thing is, is like the reason he chose 27 in the book, I think, was so that they would be you know either like. 39 or 40 as adults and it's yeah. you know the, the big 4-0 you know the big everybody has a freak out and uh at their, when they turn 40 um i never did but i freak out once a year anyways yeah. um <laughs> yeah but uh i turned 40 so next kinda, year and i i don't right. intend to freak out to happen so yeah yeah it's just such a cliche but um yeah. it it works because they're you know, they're at the cusp of becoming adults at the beginning, and then they're, you know, turning from young adults to old adults, I guess, yeah, would, would be it. Um, and then, but the timeline of the movie makes it to where they're probably in their mid-40s when this happens, which loses a little bit of the metaphor, but it's not really too important, I don't think. So No, no. Uh, I mean, other than, uh, and it's it's kind of arbitrary. I mean, it's not it's not right. specifically, like... 
like how old they are. It's 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 right. where they're at. Um, but yeah. I mean, like yeah. it, 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 the 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 actual time change has very little to do with the actual story in any in any way, yeah. shape, or form. It just makes for nice round numbers. Right. You know, when Mike's going down the history of you know with uh, the things that happened in Derry, they're just now mm-hmm. at like nice round. Right. You know. Uh, numbers rather than, but also I think the reason for the twenty-seven in the book was so that it would be nineteen fifty-eight and nineteen eighty-five. Reverse the numbers. Right. Um, yeah, but it could have been just as bad as easily nineteen fifty-five or you know nineteen sixty. Like yeah, the, yeah. the movie is you know is, the now is the now in the book and the the in the movie and the the nostalgia. You got some wiggle room, so it really doesn't yeah. affect it too much. Yeah. But that's what I mean is that uh, the the book I think encapsulate fully encapsulates the sort of weird magical thing that happens to children uh, right. when you're a young child. Um, and I don't know about you, but like if uh, uh, although my my <coughs> my uh, group of friends at eleven were not uh, nearly as tight knit as this, um, yeah. but I hung out with kids in my neighborhood because that's who we had to hang out with. Um, right. And uh, but there is something. Uh, uh, you know, when I was a kid around this age, I used to go out back um, on the uh, uh, on the other side of this line of trees in my backyard was a place we called the sand. Right. Very much, but it was basically just sort of like this sandy stretch of land that uh, like nobody technically owned or developed. And, right, right. Um, I used to go back there and just hang out, um, and it, it was very much like the Barrens. You know, like yeah. uh, you know, a place that nobody, that adults didn't really go. Only the kids really knew right. that it was there. Um, any adult that went back there would not be welcome there. Right. Uh, it would be, you know, it would be uh, 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 a violation yeah. of the rules. Um, and so reading reading it now, uh, or when, like I said, when I was in my 20s, uh, which is also the first time the book really scared me, was when I was right. in my 20s. Um, that, that, there's something about that book that is, is, is deep, first of all, deeply melancholic. Right. Um, about childhood um, and and doing something that I think most writers would not do when talking about childhood, which is also like how uh, difficult it is to be a child and how, right. uh, how, how uh, the, there is that sort of knowledge that any minute now adulthood's creeping up on you and right. it's going to pounce and you're going to lose something of, of what you are. And, I, and it's something that I don't think we really think about as children. Uh, at least I don't remember thinking about it. But yeah, once in a while. Yeah, but I mean, you you realize, but that that magic of like the the sand for me, you know, that could right. be that could be anything up until the day it wasn't. Yeah, you know? I mean, we have a similar kind of situation, you know, here. Uh, Cleveland, the Cleveland area has this wonderful park system called the Metro Parks, mm-hmm. and it it basically follows the the path of uh, the Cuyahoga River. Um, through you know going you know from lake erie into uh you know basically southish way um it's called the metro parks we always just called it the valley because it's it's a, it's in the valley yeah um and you know there's a lot of you know like baseball fields and picnic areas and stuff but there's also just like you know these tracks of just you know well i don't want to say wilderness because they're not big enough to be wilderness but you know t- trees and woods yes um so you know in middle school like me and my, you know, couple of friends basically lived out there. Right. <laughs> I mean, because at the same age as these kids, we're stopping around the woods. We we didn't build a dam because you couldn't really build a dam. The Cuyahoga's too strong, even sure. when it's not on fire. Um, 
And, but we did build, like, you know, tree houses and stuff that were, you know, wildly unsafe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, stuff like that. Well, it reminds but, me of what, yeah, Stephen King talked about that a little bit in, um, I think it was The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, too, where the idea right. of uh, the, the immortality of children, uh, yeah. you know, that, uh, you know, for you do that so many of us did some absolutely crazy shit when we were children oh, yeah, that probably definitely. should have killed us, and... Like, uh, it's not my story to tell, but a friend of mine mentioned right. uh, he, the game he used to play when he was 10 or 11 was toying with death where they would go and try to push, <laughs> toy to push each other out of trees. And yeah. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, that's that's absurd. Like, you know, but and we it, would do stupid shit like that, too. Like we, you know, there is one side of the river is is uh, is wooded and, you know, sloped, but it's not very steep. But the other side of the river is like shale, like cliff that goes up, you know. Hundred feet or so. Um, yeah, and we would we would always try to climb that. <laughs> Again, yeah. like way too high up, and be like, "Oh shit!" I remember we tried to learn how to repel by by trying to repel down the side of that thing, and one of us was smart enough to get cold feet at the last second because we're like, "Wait, we're at the top of this thing, and that water is real far." Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's funny because I was actually uh, when I was younger. I mean, uh, I wouldn't really meet any like. I wouldn't meet my equivalent of the Losers Club, like the real like people that right. I really bonded with until I was uh, in high school. But, um, right. but even then, they uh, I, years later, a friend of mine had, uh, and I went out for a beer uh, that I hadn't seen mm. in years, and uh, he had mentioned to me he was like, and he said, "By the way, thank you." And I said, "Why?" Right. Uh, and he said, "You probably saved our lives more than you think you did um, because right. you were the stick in the mud." Who didn't want right. to do? Who didn't want to try to jump the train? You know, and I'm yeah. like, you know, and I'm like, well, no, that we we would have died. Um, right. yeah. But he's like, yeah, we probably would have done it if he weren't there to stop us. You know, it's yeah. like it's like uh, it's Peter Venkman and Egon Spangler. Like, you know, this reminds me of the time you tried to drill a hole in your head. Remember that? Like, that would have worked <laughs> if you hadn't stopped me. Um, right. But I was the one who stopped them from doing these things. But, um, but yeah, I mean, so thinking back on these things, it's all very nostalgic and it's all very, there's a sort of magic to it. And that's something that this book really captures, I think, is the magic of being a child. And I think the 1990 part one does an exceptional job of doing that as well. It captures it. The, yeah, the feeling... it captures both the magic and, you know, the fears. And it, it also captures just the the heightened nature of everything when you're yeah. that age like you know if something good happens it's the best thing ever if something bad happens it's the worst thing ever you know yeah. Yeah. a girl a girl you have a crush on says you know you're fat and you're just ruined for the rest of your life you know it's just yeah. it's, right it's so right. It, it, uh, and that's it, it affected me the first time i read it because um you know i was like i said i was the same age as they were and you know already an outcast already you know yeah. bully um, stuff yeah. like that and so like I can really identify with you know like trying to dodge the bullies or you know having you know the feeling of helplessness because you know the the kid the bullyish kids are doing shit that you know the teachers should stop but they don't or right, right. You know, stuff like that um, I was a little jealous because they had seven friends I had like two so you know that yeah. kind of sucked yeah. I, even the losers clubs are less of a loser than I am apparently well, that's the again. That's the the power of uh, the power of the story too. Is that I feel like you right. you you watch this wistfully, kind of wishing you could be one of them, right? Even though uh, even though that would be a horrible horrible fate to be one yeah. of them, uh, because what they go through is is absolutely terrible. Um, right. Which is another Stephen King kind of trope of the idea of like you know that you get that people who 
these people who they get this sort of connection with other people, but it's formed through some sort of horrible bond. Right. Um, through trauma. Yeah. And uh, which is, of course, a huge part of what um, part one of 1990 is all about. It's yeah. uh, and what the story is all about. The book's all about right. is the idea of these things that you uh, uh, these things that you experience as a child that you kind of push back that you don't right. remember. Um, and they're things you can't shut out. Um, yeah. In the moment, you can't get away from it because you know you're just a kid. You're you're limited in your options to deal yeah. with anything, anything good or bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're getting bullied at school, uh, too bad. You're still going to school today. Yeah. If you're, you get abused at home, uh, too bad. That's where you live. You yeah. know, it's it's. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, you can't. Uh, it's you, weird to. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say yeah. You can't. You, you the, the 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 lack of control they have over their lives is a is a right. huge huge theme here. Um, and I think it really walks that tightrope between, you know, nostalgia for, you know, the older audience reading or watching this, um, along with, you know, what you said, the melancholy, which I don't think nostalgia works without mel- having some melancholy in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, it makes you wistful and kind of sad. Um, right. But it also, you know, it's it's also, you know, terrifying. It's also, you know, dark and, yeah. <laughs> and disturbing. Yeah. And it balances it, you know, in the book it balances it very well. And this, I think, it almost balances it better because it has to cut and trim and paste things, you know, yeah. the budget and time constraints that, you know, make the first half of this almost work better than the first half of the book in a lot of ways. I think in some ways, yeah. 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 Uh, it's certainly more digestible. Um, right. Uh, I mean, you a... lose some metaphors, you lose some details, but... Um, its brevity, you know, gives it a gives it a bigger punch. I think because you yeah. can watch this all in one sitting, yeah, or on on two nights if you were watching it at the time. Yeah, you know, it as a book, you know, block out a week at the least. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't breeze through it in a day. Right. No. Um, and I've tried. You can't. You know, um, I think I think the audio book, um, which uh, Stephen Weber is reads the audio book, which oh. awesome. Um, he does a lot of uh. Stephen King audiobooks. He did. He did a lot of them at one point. But um, it as a as an audiobook. I'm looking it up now. Let me see how long it is. Um, it's like forty hours. I think it's yeah. it's it's a it's a work. It's a week of work. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 It's an it's a, it's an absurdly long book, and it, it does ramble on a little bit. Um, right. And um, it's from and a time where King didn't mm-hmm. really have as much, I think, self control. Right. over over I, his work but i don't know if he does now but uh yeah. yeah this was when he was still struggling with it um i know for a long time he you know he didn't regard this book very highly um, in his own mind um even in interviews and stuff you know he would talk down about the book and i'm like this is a great book stop yeah. that you know yeah yeah like i said i think it's just probably his best and i think that it uh, right. part of the reason why it's his best is because it kind of encapsulates everything else he's ever done I mean, this is yeah. a quintessential monster movie, I mean, a quintessential monster story. Like this is this is oh, definitely. this is everything. I mean, this is this is horror in a nutshell. Right. A very large, heavy nutshell. But uh, yeah. Um, and there were mistakes in this book, which is actually something I kind of want to talk about. Um, like mm-hmm. there, like there are like continuity errors <laughs> in right. this book. In a book, 
uh, which is right. kind of absurd. But it's so massive that it's quite easy to just be like, oh, I forgot that. I, I probably. Oh yeah, that. I just opened. I just opened my Kindle. Uh, my not my Kindle, my Audible, and uh, opened up it. It is uh, forty-four hours and fifty-six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so over a week of work. Yeah. It's overtime. Overtime. Yep. Yeah. Time and yeah. a half. Time and a half on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, let's. You mentioned like kind of losing the metaphors. Uh, that's something I, I think that we we should talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Now, again, one of the reasons why this book really connected with me in my my twenties, uh, even though I had read it prior. Same thing with the miniseries. I, I watched the movie when it, when it came out right. on TV, but I watched it from behind a pillow. I was nine. Um, right. I was actually actually, if it was November twentieth, I was going to turn ten in three days. Um, yeah, I was I was uh, thirteen. Yeah, and. I, I remember this was the first thing that I rushed out to read the book before the, the adaptation came out. Ah, okay. This was the first time I did that because um, I read about it in like Fangoria or something. And yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I need to see this, you know. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Go ahead. But yeah, the uh, the the uh, I watched the miniseries very much from behind a pillow because I was too young to really. I, and even though I, I I would watch it soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, I read the book so soon after as well, so I must have been about eleven or twelve when I read the book, um, right. at least. Uh, but I mean, even though I kind of understood what I was reading, I didn't really understand what I was reading until right. I was older. Uh, and the, I w- was working at the first hotel I ever worked for. One of the one of the dead nights, I was reading uh, in the middle of the dead of winter when it was slower. I was reading. Mm-hmm. I read this book again, right? Um, probably for the third or fourth time at that point, and it scared the hell out of me. Like, I, I remember having some moments where I was like, I have to stop because I was, like, kind of looking over my shoulder. I had my, my back to the front door, and I had to kind of be like, well, I got to right. take a break. Um, man, I, I, I watched some, rushed and read some crazy shit at that job. I can't believe it. But um, thinking back <laughs> on it. But, yeah, I, I saw right. Pascal, I think it's Lauiere, Laguerre, his uh, martyrs at work, uh, which was very, very absurd. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was a really weird night. Um, but yeah, anyway, but I mean, uh, the the scene of uh, I think it's the death of Eddie Corcoran, uh, mm-hmm. who sees his dead brother crawl up right. out of the out of the standpipe. I uh, it yeah. scared the hell out of me. Uh, I envisioned it, but also it was the time that first time that I think I really understood saw the metaphors for sexual predation, right? In this story, which is um, it's all over the place in the book, but it's not something that you, re- I think you recognize at 11. At least I know. Um, no. So, and you said like loss of metaphor. Do you think that that's in the first part of the 1990s miniseries? Or do you think it's completely sorry, sidestep? What? The, what the, the, the metaphor of child predation, sexual predation. Um, no, it's there. Yeah. It's, it's definitely in there in part one. Um, that, the only part where I really picked up on the child predation um, when I was, you know, the same age, when, when this first came out or I first read the book, was the stuff with uh, Beverly Marsh. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty pretty overt. Um, it's never completely said if he's sexually abusing her, but you can tell it's gone through his mind. Um, and then the stuff with Bowers, which is in part two, I think, where Bowers and his gang, like, are, you know, basically groping her in front of her yeah. own house. Yeah, um, yeah. The thing I did pick definitely didn't pick up until fairly recently because I never remember that specific thing is how many times they call uh, Eddie girly boy, mm-hmm. um, and you know that just went over my head. Is 
as a child, obviously, you know, yeah. they were, it is, into this, this, it's, it's, it's more in part two, but you know, when, when the, uh, Richard Mazur shows up as the, uh, the Jan in the pan yeah. um, in the library, you yeah, know, he's yeah, like, yeah. how's your sex life? What's your sex life? Yeah. Like, oh, I get that now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He's, uh, he reads as, uh, he reads as gay in the book. And right. uh, I think in the 19, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more in part two when we talk about part two. Um, but uh, I, the child, as far as the sexual, I don't want to put you on the spot. Mm. But as and we just started this month, we're you know half an hour into our first episode this month. But uh, how would you feel about doing an extra episode where we talk about the book? Um, I don't know. Something Maybe. to think about. Something to think yeah. about. Uh, but the the. For me, the, the the concepts of sexual predator they're they're, they're downplayed. I think in nineteen in the nineteen ninety version, uh, but yeah. the scene that does it and it's not in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene that sort of I think keeps it intact is Eddie in the shower. Yeah, um, yeah. Eddie Eddie is is he's afraid to shower with the other boys, um, uh, on, on under the guise of he'll get sick. His mother doesn't right. want him to. Uh, yeah. The coach makes him take a shower, and uh, it comes up out of the shower drain. Mm-hmm. And Eddie is, is, you know, if you think about it, I mean, Eddie is nude. He's in the shower. Right. It has spying on him on the shower. It's coming up to say, you know, uh, you know, and I think he calls him girly boy at that point. Right. I think it's the first time it calls him girly boy, Pennywise. Um, right. And uh, so, I mean, it's it's definitely there. And uh, the as you mentioned, like the opening sequence, the little girl um mm-hmm. you know it's dragging these children away uh it, it's all there yeah. and, and and even with the uh the scene that has mike uh, you know, uh adult mike hanlon talking to the cops at the beginning of the first part you know mm-hmm. where they say oh dad took him the dad took her you know or right. whatever um you know all of those things are very much like this is how we deal with that this is how society deals with these things it, it sort of just yeah. you know says but I mean, uh, and uh, I think there's no mistake in and that the Penny that Pennywise is a clown, right? Um, uh, you know, something to lure children in, uh, and in that opening sequence with uh, with Georgie, where he's like, "Why yeah. don't you come on, come on down here, come in here? I've right. got I've got stuff for you. I got a puppy in the back of this van, yep. <laughs> right?" Um, so I mean, it's there, and I think yeah. I think that the cast and crew, I think everybody knows it's there. Um, but because it's made for television in 1990, I don't, I think it's downplayed. Um, right. and I think it makes it a little, yeah, I don't know I if mean, it there's only it... so much you could get away with in 1990s television. Nowadays yeah. you can do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it could run on basic cable. Um, you know, if you watch, if you watch the walking dead, you know, that they're, you know, that the bar is raised substantially for what you can get away with. Um, yeah. I just wish they had better writers, but as far as gore and, and violence, you know, and bad things happening, you know, it's. Yeah. 1990. This was pretty pretty rough TV by 1990 standards, and nowadays, you know, it could it could be the B plot of you know an episode of Young Sheldon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, uh, Young Sheldon, a truly terrifying television yes. experience. Um, but um, but you had mentioned something, you know, in 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 that that I think we'd really need to touch on, and that's the uh, complicity of the town itself. Yes. Yeah. Um, and as society, you know, and if this is, a, you know, a statement on society as a whole, you know, we're always complicit in these bad things that happen because, like, you know, like you said, we, we, we'd rather turn away than confront, you know, dark things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas children have no choice. Right. But to confront or, you the know, dark things. Yeah. We can, we can say, well, I don't want to get involved. That's a matter between, you know, 
family members or, you know, I'm not going to stop these bullies who are, uh, you know, harassing a, a, a child because, you know, oh, that's just what kids do or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's made very obvious in this and, you know, even the dialogue that, you know, Pennywise is a sickness within the town itself. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really, that was a really smart move to, yeah. to make that so laid bare that this is actually, you know, part of his effect, not just, you know, the yeah. town that looks the other way. That Yeah. In 1990, the, this, this miniseries hammers at home um, right. uh, in a way that um, we're not, we're not supposed to compare it to the, the later ones, but it does that. It, it, it's much more overt right. um, in, in the, and, the mysticism mm -hmm. of what's happening. Uh, yeah. is is very prevalent is very present in 1990 uh, in the 1990 version you know the magic force that uh, is alluded to in the book that sort of brings them together is right. alluded to in the 1990 version um, you know that we yeah. are we're, we're, we've grown up a little quickly um, uh, unnaturally so in order to right. deal with what we're dealing with um, right and that's part of what puts them in the position to deal with Pennywise in the first place yes um Outside of, you know, Bill having Georgie killed, I mean, these people have all had to deal with trauma outside of anything involving a clown beforehand. So they've all had to grow up a little bit, you know, before everybody else to deal with it. Yeah. Some more than others, yes. Right. Um, uh, uh, we don't get too much of – we don't get too much of Stan in the 1990 version, which right. is one of the things that bugs me uh, about it. I, yeah. I Stan's a great character. Um, and – uh, he um uh but the young actor is great uh yeah. as Stan. Um and uh and yeah, really he gets he gets enough in this, but he never really gets a full moment like the rest do. Um No. No. Which is odd because this first, you know, part of the miniseries is seven acts and each act focuses on a different different character. Yeah, and he's and given he's still, the climate. And he still feels, yeah, and he still feels like, you know, the lightest by far uh, yeah. because, you know, I feel like he did get a, a little rushed. Yeah, he gets the, well, he gets the climax. Um, right. And, um, but yeah, so we should, we should regroup a little bit. Let's, let's circle back. Uh, we've yeah. talked a lot about the book. We've talked a lot about our own history, but we haven't talked about the movie as much as we should be. And um, so uh, one of the things that, that, uh, trying to figure out where to start with it really because we've we've kind of been all over the place uh what do you have for your notes you you took notes so but so i give, did give us a talking point let's let's um, jump into this movie a little bit a little, well, movie I, a little bit more i i just wrote some general um trivia that you know basically i didn't know before because i've seen this movie and read this book a thousand times right uh, but if we want to start uh somewhere i guess let's start with you know the character introductions and um yeah, how they how they weave together, you know, the now and the then, and quite frankly, especially for the time, I feel it was a really interesting and, and good way. Yes. Yeah. Um, even the book doesn't handle it as well as as this, I don't think, and that's one of the things where I think this shines over the book is because because they have to build for an act structure. Yeah. They all take about the same amount of time, and you can follow. Um, it's more it's it's more seamless and more balanced the way they keep switching back and forth between you know then and now than yeah. than it actually was in the book because it was a little all over the place in the book but um, here I think it's balanced perfectly and you know 
if you're more into the kids or if you're more into the adults, um, which I don't know anybody who's more into the adults, but no, that's yeah, not, if you no, are, yeah. if you are, um, even, even the filmmakers weren't, <laughs> weren't so. No. Um, because, you know, even Tommy Lee Wallace said, you know, the, the adult part was the weak part of the story. Yeah, um, it always has been, yeah. But if you're, if whether you're more invested in that or this, um, and I can see why 1990s audience might be invested in the adults because they're all, you know, big TV actors. They were pretty big names at the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, it gives them an even amount. So if you're bored by this, you know, okay, we'll wait five minutes and we'll go back to the other thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very effective in setting it up, and it's very effective in keeping the ball rolling in part one. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we start with we the the act structure works as such that we are introduced to a different character pretty much every right. 10, 15 minutes in the first yeah. first half. Um, and then we get their backstory, right? Uh, their flashback. And, uh, and I don't and, think that gets enough credit for doing that because it's, it's just a brilliant way to handle it. Yeah. Like I said, to give every every the, act, every character his own act. Yeah. And and uh, the book kind of does that um, right. where they introduce, uh, I think if members of the book starts with basically a, a quick rundown of every character. But then right. at the beginning of every single chapter about the 1958, and it begins with one of the characters in the present day sort of drif- right. drifting back in their memory. Um, I think the present day stuff is usually um, started or ended by like, you know, a, a journal entry by Mike or a, or a newspaper yeah. clipping. Yeah. But um, we're leaning too heavily on the book again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we really are. Um, but yes, the uh, but yeah, so we introduce uh, we introduce Bill, uh, and then we go back to his story, which is uh, seeing Georgie's uh, thing, and it's actually the only one that right. I think I think that takes place out of sequence. Um, which is actually that's something that's always, yeah. I've always been weirded out about about nineteen ninety version of it. There's a lot of school scenes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, aren't they supposed to be out for the summer? But we keep going to school. Um, well, it's not. It, they're flashing back out of order. The flashbacks are yeah. out of order. Okay. Um, because you know they each of them shows a little bit of their experience before, during, and and you know at the final confrontation. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like it, it is kind of jarring in places to where they're like you know out for the summer, and then all of a sudden they flash back to school. Yeah. Um. But usually when that happens, it's a different character. Yeah, uh, like but they show all... Ben in school. They show Ben in school, and then they go do summer stuff. And then, you know, later they show Richie in school dealing with you know Bowers and the gang. And then you know later they show uh, Mike in school. But it's never the same act. Right, but they're all like best friends in school, though. No. That we, no. when when Richie comes upstairs from the you know when Richie's they're they're talking mm-hmm. about they've they've already flooded the Barrens. They've already, right. um, you know. So I was kind of like, well. Wait, were they hanging out? They met during the summer, but I guess school's still in session. Well, they got closer during the summer. I don't think, yeah. I don't think outside of Mike and Ben in in this thing, is anybody not already friends. It's just that they're never they were never all together, and the final pieces weren't there. Right, um, but it, when I'm, Rich, trying to, I'm really when, trying to remember if Richie, if Ben is sitting at the table with them at, with Richie in the in the Richie sequence, but I don't think he was. He was. Yeah. He was. Yeah. Oh. He was. Um, it's what it's what I mean. It's a little bit jarring. Right. I was like, well, wait a minute. The story takes place in the summer, but it's still the school's still in session. Yeah. But, um, but it's uh, which is it's fine. It's just one of those things. Yeah. That I'm like, well, wait. And a minute, he literally just got there. He he yeah. probably was still you know not talking to anybody. Like he had a crush on Beverly from the jump, 
Uh, yeah. So he, I can see why he'd want to sit at the table. You know, yeah. to, to, she's like, and uh, thinking back though, I mean, they don't actually explicitly state the day that Ben meets Beverly and meets Bill and Eddie. That it's, right. it's the last, It's not like the. It's it, it's. it. I think it's the book kind of taking over my brain a little bit, where I'm like, oh, yeah, it's summer. Be, yeah. But I don't think right. they ever explicitly state that it's uh, it's the it's the uh, the last day of school or anything, which right. I think it was in the book. Um, or it was the last day of school. When he meets, uh, he meets everybody. The la- I think the last day of school, yeah, because uh, he goes out of school, he goes to hide in the library, and then he leaves the library. And there, there are Bowers and company were in the park and so on. Yeah, yeah, he chases and them chases down. The barons, yeah, chasing right. the barons, yeah. Um, but yeah, but here the, it's not as clear, but it doesn't really matter. I it guess. doesn't matter. No, I, it's one of those things that I noticed. I was like, it's it's one of those adaptational choices, but I guess it works for the school right. thing. I mean, they needed they needed it there for Richie to, to right. encounter the teenage werewolf and. Right, and uh, there's a lot of points in, in part two, and I don't want to get too much into it, where it feels like they're having, you know, the same scene over again, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of that in, in the part one, Yeah, and you just, like like what you said, you know, where they go back and they're back in school again, um, but also remember that this is television in 1990, they're taking a break every 10 minutes. That's uh, true. People yeah. are reading the paper, people are, you know... Going off and doing other things, so they, you kind of do have to reiterate things every now and then. Yeah, it's really glaringly obvious in part two, especially where Richie just keeps having the same argument with everybody over and over again. Yeah, like four times. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that. But yeah, yeah. In uh, in nineteen ninety, yeah, there's some repetition. Uh, we pretty much repeat. Um, ben, like Ben, is introduced talking to the class. Mike is introduced talking to the class. Right. Um, uh, you know, and we and uh, it, it pretty much ends the same. It's always it's basically the same thing. Like uh, Henry Bowers threatens them, and the teacher kind of yeah. admonishes him. Um, and I'm kind of bummed that you know in the in the in the miniseries they never show. Um, at least I don't think they do. They don't show uh, Mike's confrontation with it before he joins the gang. No, he doesn't have one. Everybody else has a moment with this, and he doesn't. Yeah. Well, Stan um, Stan gets his in part two. In a flashback right. in part two, right? Um, he, he doesn't get one in the actual 1990. The other, uh, uh, Mike and Stan both get group flashback, right? Uh, in 1990, in the 1990 version. But Stan, it makes more sense because even you know in the 1990 version, they're like, oh, he was the last one to see it. You know, he never, he, he didn't believe it until he saw it, and, and even then he didn't well after everybody else, yeah. right? Yeah, and even then we'll he never that with part two, yeah. yeah. But I mean, Stan's Stan's lack of belief is 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 framed as a weakness in 1990, um, right. in the 1990 version, um, versus the book where where Stan's sort of groundedness is actually like this huge weapon for them. But right. um, uh, and 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 Stan in, Stan in the book was was not disbelieving; he was offended. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great line in the book, actually. Yes, yeah, so the Stan 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 could deal with anything; he just couldn't stand to be dirty. Uh, right. That it it offended or even, him, yeah, yeah, and even just the, the the fact of this thing's existence offended him. Yes, it's, you know, yeah, it doesn't get religious, but it you know it's definitely like he's coming at it like this is an affront to God and the natural order, and yeah. I can't handle this. Yeah. Um, whereas in this, yeah, it's it's portrayed because he's just kind of kind of weak. Yeah, he's grounded yeah, in which reality, is a, which is a bummer. Yeah, he can't he can't he can't imagine the way they right. do, uh, and therefore it's kind of a weakness. Um, but they use it well when they when he does finally confront it, and um, you know the one time, you know he's he's like 
reciting the uh, the Boy Scouts oath over and over again to as kind of like you know a, an exorcism. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a mantra. Yeah, right. uh, yeah. The and power I mean, of Christ compels you. you yeah, know, yeah. Even if he's Jewish. So, but, yeah. You know. Boy Scouts. Yeah, um, right. he's a Cub Scout. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and the same let's... thing with the birds. Um, he was the one with the birds too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In his flashback in part two, yeah, he he, right. he escapes it by uh, repeating the the names of every bird he can right. think of. Yeah, um, and it's enough to to push yeah. it away because it is it is about belief that if Stan right. believes hard enough that reciting all of these birds will repel it, it will work. Um, uh, you know, and and. Uh, and so because it, of that, I feel like he's kind of the one who puts together that belief is the key here. Yeah, um, yeah. In, I mean, in part one. Yeah. Uh, in some ways, I think it, it ends up saving them more than they think they, they think that it does. Right. Um, Stan always gets a short shrift in any of these movies, though. I mean, like Stan's also the one that in the yeah. book makes them uh, makes them take the oath. Right. Uh, it stands in here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's given to Bill. Bill, the uh, he gets the short shrift the in champion, this. and obviously, obviously, in the in the later film adaptations, it's Mike who gets the short shrift. But um, yeah, this one, yeah, they they take away a lot of his character just because of I don't know because they didn't need him later on. Maybe. Maybe um, I think it's I think that's probably part of it. Um, yeah. I think that probably also the the character. Um, I think he's just the easiest to cut down, and I think right. I, I think a lot of choices are made in 1990 to to be like what's easy to cut and what isn't. Well, yeah, because we got you know we got two nights, uh, two hours, two hours, two nights, including commercials to do this. Yeah, eighty bajillion page page thing, and you're gonna have to make some pretty pretty bold statements choices and what to cut here yeah and i think the easy ones to do would be like well we'll make mike the uh you know he he brought the group together at the very at the last right. minute he was last to join so right. and he's also the lighthouse keeper so that tracks right. um and so we'll give him a big group flashback for his flashback uh and then stan right. is uh we want to end our first first half with the suicide of stan Urs. so right. the finale was particularly traumatic for him so that's going to be his part um, yeah, and so it I mean, tracks well, but he's he's the one who felt like he got the biggest cut. I mean, oh yeah, know, of all of yeah. the characters. Yeah, Stan didn't get a lot to do, and um, and which is a very much a contrast to the novel where Stan was a kind of a big deal. They all were kind of right. big deals in the book, but um, it's one of the things yeah. They that, all had they all gave something you know to the group that they needed. Um, yeah, and it's at least book. it's called and, and here some. Yeah. It's called out anyway, but in the right. in, in the 1990 version, in the book, obviously the book is like uh, each one of us has a Im- crucial, important part to play right. in this thing, and in the in this miniseries, they they definitely infer it, but it's not really mm-hmm. shown shown the way uh, right. it could have been otherwise. Um, yeah, which is why I said like like it, the 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 1990 version gets a little it gets um likes to keep repeating like there was a force with us that summer. Uh, right. You know, like we're we're we were we were agents of something larger than ourselves, um, right. and uh, and that's that's something that I think is is definitely there, but it's definitely something that that, that the movie wants to kind of uh, say out loud, but doesn't want to take right. the time to show, and yeah. um, but they do a good job, uh, a phenomenal job in part one of nineteen ninety miniseries of showing the connection between the kids and the kids are, are right. so good. We, we've alluded to that already. We've talked about that. They are so good. Um, right. 
at playing these characters, even if occasionally they're kind of, and in many ways, most of them look almost exactly the way I would imagine them looking when yeah. I read the book. I like, mean, except maybe for yeah. Ben, but right, yeah, yeah. Ben, Ben, Ben wasn't wasn't he was portly. He was he was what kids was what his mother would call husky. Like he wasn't like yeah. fat, as fat as I imagine. I think him. it's actually on TV tropes where somebody talks about like adaptational, uh, adaptational ugliness or something or adaptational right. beauty. And they talk about like the, the uh, young man who plays Ben mm-hmm. in the 1990 version is, is way too cute right. to, to really accurately be Ben Hanscom. Like he's got like 10 extra pounds. As you said, he's husky, right? You know, yeah. he's, he's, uh, you know, he's got a few extra pounds on him, but he's also a good, handsome, good looking kid. That it's well, actually that, that kind plays of, into later. I mean, yeah. you know, once he loses the weight, he's he's John Ritter. He's John Ritter. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, he's the only one that I'm like yeah, this doesn't uh, that yeah. doesn't look I think the way he would look in my head. But um, yeah, um, Emily Perkins, like yeah, my God, like she's like just the perfect encapsulation of that. Yeah, the character as written. Yeah. Look. Um, I know she's the half of Ginger Snaps that people talk less about, but she's always she was always the part I liked more. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then of course, you know, getting to see her show up on Supernatural a mm-hmm. few times was a was a goddamn delight. Oh yeah, um, you know. Yeah, Emily Perkins is wonderful, and she's wonderful in this. Um, Seth Green's also great in this as young Richie Tozier. He's yeah. he's right out of the book, like. And perfectly. he is he gives he is he is the worst dialogue of anybody. Yeah, it's you know purposefully. Yes, I, I might add, but. Yeah. You know, he's got the the hardest stuff to pull off, and he pulls it off well. But I mean, in a cast of with you know, like I said, not a weak link in it. Like Emily Perkins, I think, is just like nailing it even more than you know, Jonathan Brandis, who was you know big star at the time and and, and afterwards. Yeah, uh, the the uh, the late Jonathan Brandis, who died, tragically right. uh, died young, he committed. Yeah. Uh, I think he he off himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. but um, poor kid. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you feel bad for him because you know, child star transitioning from a child star to adult is always really not that I would know, but I mean, it's always really difficult and fraught with danger. And you know, sadly, he passed. And he was he was a really good actor, but you know, like a uh, like him and Seth Green and you know some of the others. Like, I feel like Emily Perkins. They just found her locally because look, she, she works in Canada. Canada. Yes, right. And you know, obviously, Jonathan Brandis was the was the name kid they got at yes. the time. Yeah, he had been on um, Sequest at the time, and she's schooling him. I mean, she's <laughs> running circles around him. Yeah, uh, she gets the she does a great thing that uh, it's uh, it's a very crucial thing that happens with um, ensemble casts that we don't really notice. Uh, well, mm. we notice because that's what we do. Yeah. But, um, right. But uh, it's a. Uh, in uh, in uh, Angel, for example, they used to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. It's also talked about in the commentary of um, uh, From Dust Till Dawn, where they mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, oh, and also, I think uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell talk about the calling, like the shemping or something. Like yes, the, yeah. the 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 guy who has to the uh, the person who has to nail it in the background, right? Or the scene doesn't work. Emily Perkins is doing that in every scene. If you watch this movie, yeah. you watch the watch mm-hmm. the nineteen ninety stuff, and you look at what's going on. Emily Perkins is working her ass off in the background. To sell this scene. Of every shot. Of yeah. every shot she's in. She's reacting yeah. to everything. That Even when she's not the direct conversation. They yeah, all there are scenes where she doesn't it. even, there's scenes where she doesn't even get a line. I mean, not scenes, but shots where she doesn't even get a line and she's just, you know, acting. Acting. 
yeah. so well. Yeah. Yeah. Capital A acting and yeah. not like over the top. Yeah. She's uh, she's just she's just selling every scene, and um, right. it, it's something that um, uh, that these these kids do that in this particular film that I think the adults don't do as well. Right. Um, but they. Uh, she's also the most realistic looking looking kid in the thing as well. I think she, you could see her in any middle school in, in the universe, basically. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Whereas, you know, Ben's kind of you know a, a husky good-looking kid i mean jonathan brandis is literally in tiger beat at, yeah at the time. yeah he was um, yeah he was a, he was a handsome kid but he she's was, just kind of like a like you know a mousy kid and um, you know just kind of looked like a kid i don't know yeah. i don't know yeah. how to describe yeah. it yeah uh, but yeah the the uh eddie is uh, uh particularly good in this movie too i can't remember the, the actor's name young actor's name but uh played young eddie uh he does a, a really great job with some stuff too that um I think would be difficult yeah. for, for other actors. Um, but one of the things I noticed, particularly when this rewatch was, um, they're making references to something that they would have absolutely no idea what they were, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and doing it quite well. Um, and there are references that like, I think now watching it, uh, in, uh, you wouldn't get them now. I, I think a younger right. viewer wouldn't get them. Like, uh, Haystack. Yeah. Haystack Calhoun. Um, I remember even a, 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 an article that came out when the new ones came out where somebody was like, things that won't be in the new way adaptation. It was like, the fat, right. and they called it fat shaming. They were like, there would be no fat shaming. They were not going to call him Haystack. Right. And I'm like, you realize that Haystack was actually an affectionate term. Yeah. Um, Haystack, well, Haystack Calhoun was a wrestler and a very popular one. And he was, he was cool. And so they, he was just a heavy set guy. He was a fat guy. And they, so they were um, like, you know, they called I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, but, um, so, yeah, I mean, but it's a reference that, right. uh, you know. Uh, well, was it, wasn't it also, uh, wasn't Haystack also a character in, like, Little Lulu or one of those things? Maybe. Yeah, you might be right. But I think that it, the book made it clear that the Haystack thing was from The Wrestler. Right, yeah. right. But also, and that's like, why Richie, that's why Richie, t- you know, starts calling it. You know, and Richie's names are not mean. They're affectionate. Yeah, um, yeah. Even if you know he Eddie's really sick of Eddie spaghetti, obviously. Um. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they all um, yeah, and that's what I mean is that there's something that's that that's that's there, of right. the the sweetness and kindness of these characters towards each other, is something that's so prevalent in this in this first part. Um, right. Let's talk about Tim Curry. Yes, let's. Um, oh, my God. Uh, deeply terrifying performance. Uh, yeah. But also a deeply entertaining performance, um, and uh, and I think his performance more than anything is why people have such a nostalgia for for this. Oh, for sure, for this miniseries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's totally meme worthy now. Um, you know, like you know, you'll see, uh, you'll still see to this day people you know using gifs of is it GIF? right? GIF, GIF whatever. I don't it, know. The guy who made it says it's Jif, but he's he's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you. Death of the author. Death of the author. It's the 21st century. Um, Yeah, but... um, You wanted a J sound, you could have put a J in there. Yeah, yeah. But... um, Eddie Hussle. Oh, that's a peanut butter. Right. Uh, But yeah, the... um, uh, Then you get it confused with the peanut butter. But um, do they still make Jif? Peanut butter, Jeff? Is that yeah, we got some in the kitchen right oh, okay. now. Okay, yeah, I think I do too. I don't know why I thought why I thought it didn't exist anymore. But okay, um, but yeah, the uh, but yeah, so he's totally he, still. You'll get those those gifts of of, of right. Pennywise to this day. You know, he's he's so expressive in this role. 
Right. Um, he's so, uh, and he's, it's an interesting, and again, we're not, we're not going to do comparison and contrast right now anyway for, with um, Skarsgård, but uh, there's, a, there's a playfulness, but there's something that's definitely underneath. I think um, somebody yeah. described it once as the differences between like um, that Penny, that Tim Curry was playing a, a man that's actually a, 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 an eldritch abomination, whereas the other was an eldritch abomination pretending to be a man. Um, right. And just the choice that he had, and I think it was his choice to go with that voice, but it may not have been. It might have been in the script um, of of him basically playing it like um, like he's Bugs Bunny. I mean, a little bit. His, yeah. his voice is very Bugs Bunny, very Looney Tunes, and um, especially in the novel, you know, they make it a point. And here too, that you know, they have the I was a teenage werewolf, werewolf. They have a a, a mummy. But yeah. in the novel, you you get to see like you know Rodan is one of the forms it took. Um, Frankenstein's monster is what killed um, Belch in the sewer. He pulled his head off. Yeah. Um, yeah, And it was literally you know the Boris Karloff. Yeah, Frankenstein's monster. So it makes sense that his clown character would be kind of based on, um, not only like the TV children's show clowns at the time, but um, yeah, like I said, you know, kind of a Looney Tunes aspect to it. Um, I think that was probably partially his choice, probably partially the fact that they were on television. Um, right. He couldn't be, I don't think he could go too over the top um, right. uh, without being too scary for TV. But um, I mean, if you're going to go, if you're going to go with a, a, a cloud that I'm going to, I'm going to talk to, it, give me a surly sounding clown and I'll try to talk to him long enough to get my arm pulled off. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, in, in, in any sequence, I think that it, it's sort of like, why would anybody approach this clown? But are you clownphobic? Right. Do you have a clown phobia? No. No, I nor mean, am I. I'm apathetic, you know. Yeah, yeah. To, I, actually, to I, I, I actually kind of thought, I think clowns are kind of funny, actually. I, I like that uh, I like that kind of, uh, that goofy kind of uh, slapsticky right. performance. Um, but I mean, Yeah, L- if they're Lori good. Is... And clown, clowns are like comedy where, you know, if you're, if you're not good at it, it's just painful. It's... Yeah, yeah, but I've never, I've never understood the fear of them, um, and uh, it. But I mean, obviously, I'm not phobic of it, so I don't, you know, right. get, I don't get it. I can't relate to it. Well, but yeah, it's it's an irrational fear. I mean, it's, yeah. But Lori, right? That's a, yeah, that's a phobia. Yeah, to, to the right. point of irrationality. Yeah, um, but yeah, Lori is afraid of them, and when I was like, I have to watch it, and like, she was like, I'm going to bed. Mm-hmm. Like she wouldn't, she would <laughs> right. not, she won't watch this movie. She uh, she wouldn't do it. Um, but it's always it's it's funny to me that but I think that this performance by Tim Curry probably created a lot of oh yeah uh, a lot of Most phobias because he's yeah. it's a terrifying performance it's very scary right. um, and it was and again because part- it's TV um, because it's TV you know a lot of kids probably you know watched this who weren't ready for it oh yeah um, you yeah. know a few years earlier and you know Jen Jen can attest to it and I I can as well you know. Uh, the V show was had moments of, of terror. Um, mm. V where the alien, the reptilian aliens come down and they're supposed to be our friends, but they turn out to be lizard people. And it's there are scenes in there where like they rip off their human face and there's lizards underneath that. Like anybody who grew up in the eighties who accidentally saw that part of it is yeah. terrified of till this day. I mean, well, that's actually my idea for the Halloween special this year is I wanted to talk about um, uh, childhood fear with a right. group of guests and uh, so, but I mean like, uh, and talk about things that scared us on TV that maybe weren't traditionally horror, but, um, right. but you're right. I think that this is another movie. It certainly was for me. I was nine years old. 
I watched this movie and I watched most of it from behind a couch. Anytime Tim Curry came on screen, right. I hid my face behind a couch cushion because I was like, I was, I didn't want to see it. It was terrifying. Um, he and it wasn't so much that I was actually scared of him. It was more that I knew something scary was going to happen whenever he came on screen. Yeah, because and that's because that opening sequence hits so hard that he's uh, that right. he's deeply terrifying. Um, and he's never more terrifying, I think, than in that opening sequence. We kind of we're, we're kind of circling back around right to the very beginning now. Mm-hmm. The little girl sees him and he's like, "Hi!" and he appears right. for the flash second in the in the sheets. And then right. he, when we see him next, he looks furious. Like he's so ugly looking, he's not yeah, smiling anymore. Uh, I referred to him as this watch through as his, as his uh, who farted face. Yeah, yeah, he's like, <laughs> who farted it's, it's, you, and like he looks at the girl, yeah. and uh, the girl, and like the smile fades from her face, and it's it's right. such a. And I mean, from that point on, as a nine year old boy, I'm like, I'm not, I, I can't. Every time he comes on screen, I can't deal with that again. Um, and I think Tommy Lee Wallace really played it smart, and you know. <laughs> Because of his time, you know, working with John Carpenter, I think he knew the right amount of airtime to give Pennywise to keep him in yeah. your minds, but but still, you know, unusual and, and frightening. Um, well, it's also from the book. Uh, Pennywise actually yeah. doesn't appear that often in uh, no. in in the book, even though it's a titular character. But you can see how like a lot of people would just like lead hard into it and make him into Freddy Krueger. Oh yeah, um, yeah, but. And then they're doing a lot of work between his appearances to show, you know, how dangerous he is and how much power he has, even when he's not on screen. Yeah. Um, you know, between when the first couple times you see him, they got like you got to get him hooked early. I get that. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, it was smart to op- do that cold open with him. Um, yeah. And to do Georgie's death fairly early. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they don't show him for for a little while. And they're just building out, you know, the other terrors that children have to deal with, like bullies and parents and yeah. teachers and whatever else. Which uh, are all part disease. of it. Yeah, or it is part right. of them. Yeah. So it's kind of building his his power in our minds without even having to show him at that point. So when he comes up next, he's he's still effective. Yeah. And yeah. they keep he's... ramping that up throughout this. Thing. Yeah, and it's like we part of that with the act structure, that uh, they all have their own encounters with it and the idea that it – didn't actually even do anything to them in those scenes. Right. He just appeared to them uh, to kind of be like, be afraid of me. Uh, right. And it's not until, uh, you know, the, the climax where they're actually going to confront him. Uh, that uh, and, and they're great, um, great scares. And even though those scenes, you know, each of those different confrontations with it that each of the characters have where they see it for the first time. Yeah. Um, even though they're almost on the page, they're almost the same the same scene played out every time uh mm-hmm. you know something weird happens it it turns up to you know waves and laughs at him yeah. and you know it literally um, laughs at them i, I love that he right. points at them he points yeah. at them. like he's like he's not and laughing he's just with having, you yeah his, going back to his performance he's just having so much fun yeah doing that yeah. yeah you could tell um but they feel each of them feels like they're ratcheting ratcheting up they're mm-hmm. they're getting worse even though really if you just look at the script it's kind of each of them are on the same level. It's not, you know, more dangerous here than it is there. Right. Um, like you said, it yeah, feels he, like that because of the way they're building it up. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, he shows up in every scene. He should have shows up, does something scary, and then laughs at them mm. and then disappears. Right. Um, and um, and and it's enough to be like, well, here's this traumatic event. 
Right. That has forever changed the character to the point that now they're... And it builds up rather nicely to the idea that they're all keeping that to themselves. They don't share it yeah. for a while. Um, and it's not Even until... though they're kids and kids will believe anything, they're still afraid to, to share something like this because they're like, this is crazy even for kid logic, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, yeah, everybody uh, – they, they, and again, as you pointed out, I mean, these are kids that are on the cusp of adulthood. They're, they're just right. about ready to hit uh, – to start growing up a little bit. That the, the idea of the monster in the closet, the thing under the bed, is Ooh. something that babies think of. You know, like right. they're not going to – you know, like, I'm not a baby. But they know they yeah. saw something truly awful, truly horrific. Um, yeah, and if a 13- or 14-year-old kid goes to their friends and is like, I saw this cloud and I wet my pants, they're going to be like, it's right. a cloud. Yeah. What's the matter with you? <laughs> well, yeah, Richie comes upstairs and yells to everybody. You know, I saw the were- I saw a werewolf, and they'll laugh at him. Right. Except for our ma- except for his friends who are like, oh, he right. saw it. he saw it. Oh, right. Uh-oh. Um, I would have been more scared of running into the cigarette smoking man, you know, with my plate of food. But you know, that's not right. There. Right. That, that's him. Yeah, playing school principal. Yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so but I mean, yes. Yeah, so what's your what's your favorite of the uh, of the flashbacks with Pennywise? Which which scare is the your favorite? Uh, I I think if we're talking about are we talking about overall or part one? Part one, the flashback uh, stuff, one, the kids, yeah, yeah. Part one, I would say it's either um, it's not really a scare; it's just kind of eerie. It's just Ben, you know, seeing his father down in the waste treatment area, mm-hmm. um, and then it turns into the jump scare with the skeleton. Yeah, or um, actually, Richie's running with the. Uh, the teenage werewolf because it's just it's just shot so well and it's 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 just a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think I like the werewolf one too because um, and it's not something that people talk about a lot. In fact, uh, when we get to part two, we'll talk about this a little bit that of the mm-hmm. misconception I think that this movie has bad special effects. I think it has great special effects. Yeah. Um, like you said, the 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 skeleton in the lake looks great. Right. The teenage werewolf looks great. The reason people think it has bad special effects is probably in part one because of the uh, the way the Harryhausen way that they shoot um, Pennywise going back into the drain, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. both at the end of part one and in uh, Eddie's confrontation with him, and then of course we'll get to it the giant spider at the end. Yeah, um, which actually I think everything is else more, is more spot effective. on. I think it's actually a bit more effective than people than uh, than people had to give it credit for. But um, but yes, you're right. The the, the stop motion stuff. Uh, was already dated by 1990, right. so um, it didn't work as well. Um, and uh, I think that's still to this day. I mean, the, the scariest thing about part one is going to be Tim Curry, who was yeah. also who couldn't look at himself right. in the mirror. He actually was. I guess he's deeply phobic of clowns, so he would actually. And he didn't want to have to wear makeup because he just came off of doing Legend, um, and yeah. uh, that was just brutal yeah. experience for him. Yeah, yeah, as the darkness. Yeah, it was a very, very tough shoot for him. Uh, but, yeah, he couldn't look at himself in the mirror. Um, but, um, but yeah, apparently the kids all loved him because he was nice to right. the kids on set. Um, there were yeah, a lot of photographs of gun around of him hanging out with the kids, and they, they were very nice. He was very nice to them. Right. Didn't, didn't my go ma- out of his my way favorite, to them. My favorite photograph is, uh, and it's not him and the kids, it's just when he was, like, sitting in a chair in between scenes smoking a cigarette. Yeah, he smoked a cigarette, as, as <laughs> like, Pennywise. Yeah, he's got, like, a brutal, blanket yeah. on. Yeah, he's got, like, yeah. a blanket over his shoulders, and he's just smoking a right. cigarette. Yeah, I've seen that one, too. I like that one. Um, but, yeah, like, uh, the last thing I'd like uh, to talk about, I mean, I, maybe we could talk more about the book as a specific episode, but um, 
There's a character I think that gets uh, that I've always really been drawn to uh, every more and more every time I read the book, which is uh, Victor Chris, the uh, mm. the bully, the the sidekick, uh, Henry, uh, right. Henry Bowers. Um, and it, I alluded to at the beginning. There's I think there's a mistake in the book. At one mm. point, Bill has part of the memory. He's trying to remember something, and he's he remembers Victor Chris running into the Barons to warn them about Henry. Right. That scene yeah. never recurs later in the book. Um, yeah. It's never part of the flashbacks, and I'm like, did King, you know, forget about it? Forget about it. Um, <laughs> but be. it's it's in there. I mean, like, and it's something that I always think about when watching because they they do keep the uh, a rather wonderful scene, which is he- uh, Henry about trying to in the in the book he does it, uh, in the movie he does he doesn't get the chance, but he's going to carve his name into right. Ben's stomach, and um, Victor and Belch both say don't don't really do it. Don't really cut him, you know. Um, yeah, like the, the, I think Victor was the first one to be like, "You're not really going to cut him, are you?" Like I thought we were just messing with this kid. Yeah, you Bel- know? Belch, Belch in the in this movie in this version, Belch says, "Hey, Henry," he says nervously, "Henry," right. and then Vic says, yeah. "Victor says, don't really cut him." Right. Um, you know, like they're like you know, and it's in the book a lot with Victor Chris where uh, he's uh, a little bit more sympathetic. I think King really understood right. bullies in a way. Yeah. That one of them is truly evil, you know. Right. There's one kid who's just born bad, uh, you know. Yeah. Or as William Regal, and there's wrestler. always the one person, even without the, you know. Obviously, he's in the in the book. He's got like a history of family mental illness, um, and then you have you know it actually pushing him forward in in every every version of this has it kind of pushing Henry further down the line. Yeah, uh, but there's always that one person who's going to push it too far. And, yeah, you know. Yeah, he gets that. Yeah, Definitely. but uh, but yeah, but then, then the idea is that the other guys who hang out with him are usually just kind of you know are, aren't really as bad. They're not really bad right. bad people. They're just sort of like you know they they enjoy a little bit of the power rush, but it's it's yeah. uh, it's better to be better be at the right hand of the devil than in his path. Um, yeah, they're more the kind of guys who are just going to knock your books out of your hand as you walk by. And, yeah, and maybe or, rough them up a little. Thre- yeah, yeah, or threatened to. You know, throw a firecracker down your pants, but then actually just throw it at your feet where they know it's not going to harm you, but it's going to scare the shit out of you. Which is an important um, scene in the book, which is uh, yeah. Hen- Henry's got the, they've got the firecrackers and they plan to, right. to put them in Mike's shoes and Victor's like, okay, but not the M80. Like, right. you'll, yeah, you'll, his feet off. you'll, you'll, you might kill him. Um, yeah. You might really hurt somebody and we're, that's not what I'm about. I, uh, right. you know, I, I'm all for like, you know, giving him a wedgie or, or even throwing a couple of punches right. at him. But to really, I'm an hurt asshole, him, but I'm not a lunatic. Right, yeah. right. I'm an asshole, but I'm not a killer. And King even goes to as far enough in the book to talk about Belch and Victor in a couple of crucial scenes, mm-hmm. um, suggesting that if they had survived, I think it's actually a line in the book that if Victor had survived a couple more years, he may have found sports and become better right. uh, because yeah. he actually had a hell of a throwing arm and he could have actually been right. a real a real pitcher. Uh, Belch, they talk about, could could mm-hmm. hit home runs easily off of anybody yeah. and they were like if these guys these kids had lived a couple more years they may have leveled off and actually been productive members of society as, and that's as much one of the as things that you know king also gets a lot of flack for is writing these quote-unquote you know bully trope characters and i'm like well if you're actually paying attention there's actually more to them than just you know yeah being bullies he always writes them as rounded out as his other characters usually and it here is no exception except for one except for the one you know right, the one you have to have the one bad, bad guy. guy 
the real bad. And even guy. that, yeah, and even that, I like I said, I think feel like there's a there's a reason for for it that they yeah. show in the book in the yeah. movie. You know, it's yeah, he's bad, but then he's also getting pushed. Yeah, in the in the and, film, uh, the and most... the Losers Club yeah. are 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 kind of responsible for that too. Uh, there's actually you know escalation on both sides. Um, <laughs> that, yeah. That, you know. Yeah, yeah. The 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 rock fight the rock fight scene in particular works pretty mm-hmm. well um, right. in in this version. Um, uh, it, much like most adaptations of it, it doesn't quite hit for me the way the book did. And where I, I I still say to this day, and I've talked to you about this, we've talked about it many times. Mm-hmm. But um, that no adaptation is done uh, in my mind the more uh, existential. Uh, you know, uh, it that it, the book is for me. Um, right. But the, the the rock fight, apocalyptic rock fight in the book is this big crucial scene, which is mm-hmm. absolute carnage. It's is yeah. designed. It's not a. It's not kids throwing rocks at each other. It's war. No. They're yeah, kids they're trying to kill each other. They're trying to you know. kill each other. There is there is uh, you know it, we've we've it's an escalation to the point of we're fighting for our lives. Um, right. And uh, in the movie, they do pretty well. In fact, one of my one of the lines that hits me for me the best in this entire film, uh, in mm-hmm. part one, is Henry Bowers after they hit him with the rock the first time, and he says, "Oh, you're gonna get a surprise. You're gonna get such right. a surprise." It's so king. Yeah. I don't think it's in the book. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I can't remember, but it's such right. such a king line. Uh, also, a wonderful transition of Henry, when Henry leaves that fight, he's yelling, I'll kill you all. And then the first thing it says when it shows up in the next scene is, I'll kill you all. Right. Um, it's a wonderful little transition. Yeah. And that, that I'm glad that they, I don't, like you said, I don't think that they really get across the stakes of the rock fight or, you know, right. how it would feel in the moment. But how do you, I mean, you know, that's just the difference between reading a book and yeah. watching a movie. You know, yeah. it's, it's hard to get into the side of the character's head. But they managed to keep it in the right spot where it's, you know, it's foreshadowing and kind of the next step of the plot where, you know, they're getting ready to, to finally confront, you know, it. Yeah. And realizing that, you know, eventually, you know, you'll hit a fight where it's, you know, it's not going to be go home with a bloody nose or a black eye. We may not make it home. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, think it's, I think it's a brilliant metaphor for what comes later. Yeah. Uh, and again, one of those moments that uh, it, it hits really well after the fight's mm-hmm. done. They, it's a scene that I think that if, if it, it, any lesser actors, it would have just been so laughable. But they, right. they're all standing kind of in a line, and it's it, mm-hmm. the camera moves from person to person. They're like, yeah, we're kind of a club. You know, yeah, right. the loser's club. And he's like, yeah, like, you want in? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's, it's, it's so well done. But I think yeah. that that line would have been, that whole thing would have been ridiculous. With oh, uh, with yeah. a, with lesser actors, I mean, there was something so powerful about it that still worked and, because and these actors Brandis are so really, good. Yeah, and Jonathan Brandis really really nails the you know, um, well, there's six of us. We could probably put you in the hospital. Yeah, like that was the moment of realization where they're like, okay, these stakes are real. Yeah, um, yeah. he plays it really well, yeah. and I just love the fact that like after the fight ends with um, the uh, quote unquote bad guys just kind of awkwardly. Leaving, you know, just kind of like he slinks away, scrambling up the hill. It's 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 a very realistic depiction, you know, because usually like in a big fight scene, you know, there was some guy through a window or something, and they'll cut to the next scene, and somebody's in the hospital or somebody's at home or something. Like no, we just finished throwing rocks, and I just we just kind of kind of walked away, trying to retain as much dignity as we could. Yeah, 
And how gratifying is it? I, 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 let's talk a little bit about uh, the actor who plays Henry Bowers. I think he does a wonderful mm-hmm. job here. Um, but, I mean, how gratifying is it when, when Henry hits Bev with the rock and right. Ben just it hulks out. Goes berserk. Yeah. yeah, and just dives on him and then right. kicks him in the butt. Yep. Um, and, again, it's a thing that would have been uh, too silly, I think, under any other circumstances. But somehow this film manages to nail it of right. him kicking him in the ass. Giving uh, yeah. and it's it's such a it's such a gratifying moment I think for us as an audience to be like we and that's when you kind of realize <laughs> we, totally. we're one of them we're with them yeah um, and and as you said to me he says the six of us could put you in the hospital and Mike says seven right. um, you know and it's a it's a it's a wonderful uh, unifying right. moment and I think it brings the audience fully into the group in a way that maybe they hadn't if they hadn't been if you're not at that point you're never gonna be. Right. Um, it's the point of no return for an audience, I think, as well. That is being like, you're gonna have to relate to these kids, or right. or go home, turn it off, right. you know. Um, and uh, it's it it's go, so go watch Coach instead. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually was a pretty good chance one of the actors in this movie was in Coach at some point. So, right. Um, but yes, uh, it's it, to me, it's 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 such a crucial moment. Um, and uh, and I love the climax too, even though it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so it's again it's very truncated um what they do is basically they took the the kneebolt street confrontation and moved it into the sewers right uh which is it always makes me laugh every time watching this movie um with the uh slingshot Mm -hmm. um because i'm like yep 1990s television can't have kids (laughs) with a can't have kids with a revolver um which is what they do in the book it's it's ben has his bill gets steals his dad's gun uh, and they make silver right. bullets out of Richie's mom's earrings uh, right. in the in this. No, I thought I thought they they settled on that because like I, I might be misremembering it. I thought they decided against the uh, revolver because like you know Ben realized like if I don't make these bullets right, I could just could just blow up in her hands. Mm. Um, do they know. use? I, they tried. Oh, maybe wait. Do they use the slingshot in the in the book? I'd have to actually go back and look to know for sure. Yeah, now that you say that, you might be right. I think that, they're, but there is the their thing original I, plan was definitely to make silver bullets. Yeah, but and I think ben, they settled on something else. Ben makes them. There's a big crucial scene where where right. Ben is because it's from Ben's point of view, I think, and he's thinking about um, right. uh, Bev and Bill uh, mm-hmm. kind of having a crush on each other, and he's uh, right. But but this was. Um, I'm pretty sure they went with Yo-Yo because not Yo-Yo. Uh, sorry, uh, Slingshot. Mm. Because um, there was a scene in the book where Ben goes and buys like it takes like two the two dollars he has saved up and goes to buy a, a ball bearing mold mm-hmm. uh, to 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 cast the the projectiles in. Mm. Um, oh yeah. So I think no, no, yeah, no. You're they, right. You're right. They do yeah. those. I, I apologize. They do use a slingshot because the the end of the Nebo Street confrontation is Bev um, pretending she has a slug to fire at him. Oh, right. In her hand. Yeah, yeah. She right. she dry loads. She dry loads the the uh, uh, the slingshot, and uh, no, the the gun is in use. Bill brings the gun when Bill and Eddie visit. Uh, I think they have the first. gun, but it wasn't silver bullets. They bring well. They bring the gun. Yes, they but they bring the gun to Nebel Street when it's just Bill and Eddie. Okay, so they were at Nebel Street. Um, but yeah, Nebel Street. Yes, they they bring the gun when it's right. just Bill and Eddie. 
uh, and uh, and then, uh, but you're right. I think that they ended up deciding the gun is a bad idea. They can't, it won't work. Um, but yes, uh, because yeah, Bev does uh, dry uh, uh, fake loads the, uh, the the slingshot to get Penny West to run away after it's right. shredded Ben wide open. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which they kind of replaced yeah, that the, with uh, the battery acid. This version. And this is battery yeah, acid. Yeah. Well, that's actually, I think that was the uh, the itching powder. Right. Was sort of the, yeah, Richie uses the uh, the sneezing powder on Pennywise in that scene, and, and they use, doesn't, wait, does it? We, I probably should have read the book again. I'm pretty sure Eddie uses the, well, he does that's... use the inhaler as a weapon, but. All right, we're getting too far in the but weeds yeah. with what happened in the book. Let's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are, yeah. Let's focus but on anyway, the But yes, the uh, finale, the finale. Yeah, the climax. Yeah, the finale ends with uh, with uh, a kind of variant on the ritual of chode or chewed. Um, but right. yeah, they 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 chewed, hold hands. Yeah. yeah, they hold uh, where they they hold hands in order to, to keep it at bay. Right. Um, you know, it once again fires at them with their worst fears a little bit. Um, yeah. And a nice little callback to all of them. They do the Scooby Doo thing where, like, if you're there. That who was here? Oh no, it's the monster! It's the monster! It's a very Scooby Doo moment. Uh, Stan's resolve fails. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, and uh, and yes, we, uh, as you mentioned, Eddie uh, Eddie does the big hero moment, uh, save Stan's life with the inhaler. Right. Uh, you know, this is battery acid, you slime. Um, and then they right. they shoot it in the head with a, a thing, and it, its head busts open, and dead lights come out. Um, it's a good. It's a good finale. We talked about the making. We talked about the making Eddie kind of weak in this version, but I mean, when shit goes down, like he's he's steely. Um, yeah. He doesn't, you know, really hesitate in the apocalyptic rock fight. He he's the one who takes the initiative here when shit's you know starting to spiral. Um, yeah. Which is a nice, you know, because like I said, for the rest of the time, yeah. he's played as kind of weak, and um, Pennywise is preying on his fears of you know, being seen as weak as well the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but yes, Eddie's, Eddie's great in this. I mean, they're, they're all, but it's a good, it's a good finale. Right. Um, it, uh, it's, especially in the sense that it's supposed to be ending. What is the first half? Right. Um, so, I mean, obviously the, uh, it's, it's, and it's probably a better climax than the final climax. Right. I would agree. But, um, but it feels uh, it feels a little bit um, truncated, I think for sure. Yeah, the only thing I think this climax is missing is that they didn't really sell very well why they thought it was dead. Like it just went down the pipe, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, I guess we're done here." It, it made the yeah. it made the kind of dying sound, but they yeah. don't even have a yeah. conversation. Like, is it? I don't think they mention it, but they don't have a conversation. Like, what do we do now? You know how how do we know? We we did the yeah. job. They're like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's leave. Bill it. says, like, Bill wants to go after right. it, and they're like, they, they're they're kind of nerve fails, right. and they're like, they, they, maybe it's dead. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's um, but I mean, it's obviously not. I mean, it, it's it's it, it's playing a little bit with the idea that the audience knows what they're getting into. Right. I think, uh, and and that's why I think it's designed much more to be a uh, mid act break. Right. Uh, you know, this was how this, we left things off, and now the final encounter is still coming. Right. Uh, whereas the book, he, he does, uh, he, he parallels them, that the climax has happened at the same time right. in the novel. And uh, they're, they're very similar. Right. Um, which means it doesn't call attention we'll talk, to itself as, you know, the, 
the previous climax um, confrontation not being really ended well. Even in the book, it's um, a little iffy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they can't. I mean, they they know they can't. We know they can't beat it. You know, at that point. And the book has the benefit. The the book has the benefit of showing that um, their uh, their bond is already growing weaker and it's fading fast. Yes. Yeah, Which makes it more imperative that they leave now. Um, in the in the miniseries, yeah. it's like it's like, are we done? Yeah, I guess we're done. Okay, <laughs> let's let's go home. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, we want to. You want to? Let's uh, start wrapping up part one. Yep. Um, how do you feel um, about the the final scene, the uh, the suicide scene? I think it works. Yeah. yeah. Do you do you not? Um. It's it's kind of an odd duck because it has to be there, obviously. Um, yeah. And it would feel incorrect and not really flow with the rest of the first part if they put it at the beginning of the second part. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it it just feels a little off to me somehow. And part of it is the woman's overacting. But, you know, it's TV. What can yeah. you do? <laughs> right. I don't know how you play that uh, the right way, but it feels a little off to me. Um but it's a good it's a good way to yeah. end it. I mean it's it's a it's a way to show a cliffhanger without, you know, showing going straight to showing it it reemerging in the present day or something because we've already established that it has. Um Yeah. I will say it's not it's not as well earned in the narrative. Right. Um uh because as we pointed out, like, you know, they all have much more traumatic flashbacks than Stan. Right. Um, but the idea is, again, it's, it's, it's brought back up in part two, which we'll talk about, but the idea is that they talk about, uh, the reason that Stan offs himself is because he saw the, the real, right. apparently he saw the deadlights, yeah. you know, he saw its true form and, for a minute. And, you know, Henry turned and, mad and, you know, turned into Billy Idol. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to yeah. affect everybody, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But yeah, they, they, and that's supposed to be the idea is that, the, and they kind of bring it up in the in the part two where they talk about like why Stan probably off themselves because he he saw the the real right it he saw what was beyond the, and the cloud and not with with the benefit of like the final confrontation where they were all kind of feeding off each other's powers and together you know they they kind of saw the deadlights in that confrontation too but not in the same way um, no in fact they always avert their eyes except for Bill right Bill Bill looks for a second yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, Stan got a glimpse of it head on uh, when he wasn't prepared. And, yeah, and it's it's subtle that it's there. I mean, when we we talk about part two, we'll talk a little bit about like also like one of the title of one of Bill Denbro's books is the glowing. Right. <laughs> uh, you know that, that it's clear that we, there's a little bit of a parallel there about the way these two people saw the reality of it right. and and how they comp- how they channeled it yeah and uh, and of course in the book they talk about very much the, the difference is bill is angry right uh and wants revenge stan it stands the character i think that says i don't have a georgie what the hell do i want to do this right. for um you know and so you know the idea that ultimately uh they both channel this in a very different way right and um but yeah, no. Now that you think about it, because be, I think we should wrap up part one. Um, and now that you think about it, maybe I should. Maybe I'll order the book like right now. I, it's in storage, right. uh, my copy. But now I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe I should just read this stupid <laughs> thing again. And uh, we'll do a special episode of the book alone or right. something. But and we'll try to focus, get a little bit more focused with part two. Right. 
Um, but yeah, like, cause now I'm thinking, you know, we're talking a lot about the book and, <laughs> and, our, and, and, well, and not remembering it well enough, right. like, oddly enough. Uh, but Hey guys, in our defense, it is a 1200 page novel. Right. Yeah, it's, it's all right. A it's 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 a lot to take in. I probably usually read it once per year, right. but it's a lot to get through, and it's a lot to remember. Uh, a, I mean, you know, it's a lot to remember. Yeah, neither it's of a us, lot to have an encyclopedic knowledge. Not, of, yeah. Neither of us did a reread for the show. Um, you know, neither of us took notes on on the novel. It was just our impressions no, of no, our thoughts of the novel. No, and originally we were kind of like we wanted to try to avoid as comparison between book movie comparisons, but it's it's just sort of yeah. happening. Uh, and you're gonna and if, again, like both of us. This is a huge book right. for us. So obviously, and it's a huge story for us yeah. that we're gonna get uh, dragged. Now, I think we recovered pretty well yeah, yeah. in the last the, the the end of this with uh, talking about the film a little bit more. Right. Uh, but we're gonna yeah. So uh, for for us, it's gonna be for you, the viewer, a week. or the listener. It's gonna be a week for us. It's gonna be like you know, twenty minutes, right. half an hour. But um, we'll try to get a little bit focused. And I'll, uh, I'll for, spend the uh, whole time going no. Like the like the wife fit, yeah. and we'll yeah. And you're just gonna yeah. sit there in the tub, yeah. you know, relaxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With uh, my clothes folded neatly on the toilet. Well, that's um, a total stand moment. But uh, that's yeah, total moment. Yeah, right? it's 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 totally yeah. It's it's exactly what he would right. do. Yeah. Um. But yes. Uh. So so we'll wrap up part one here. Um. And uh, and uh, next week we'll, uh, for us it will be in a half an hour. Or so we'll we'll try to be a little bit more focused on part two of 1990, um, and maybe uh, maybe we will end up doing a bonus episode at the end of the month. Uh, give us give ourselves right. plenty of time to, to read this book again. Um, no guarantees that I read uh, these things, but you know. no, no, no. They're just uh, it's just a thought because now because yes, uh, we've I think we've learned a valuable lesson that we're going to have to refocus our thoughts a little bit and just just dive more into the film yep. in part two, but. Um, but, uh, thank you as always for listening. Um, and we remind you to keep it positive, keep it constructive, love yourself, love your fellow horror fans, love your fellow losers. Um, and welcome to the club and, uh, and, and welcome to the club. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, (laughs) we'll focus more next week, um, or later this afternoon. Um, but, um, but thank you very much for watching as always and over listening as always. And, uh, hopefully we weren't too out there. Hopefully still entertaining conversation. Um, warts and all. So, uh, so as usual, we'll say um, uh, thank you very much. Good night and namaste. Oh,